Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Church. Welcome to our virtual gathering. We're so honored and excited that you would choose to spend these few moments with us this morning. Whoever you are, whatever your story is, wherever you're watching from, I want you to know that you are amongst family right now. We're going to jump straight in. I believe that we find ourselves right now in a cultural moment, a cultural moment, one that we will look back on for years to come as a moment that marked the way forward, that changed the way things were done. History is full of these, we could call them turning points, these moments that changed the way forward. Following the murder of George Floyd over in America, the globe has erupted with a voice against racism, racial inequality and racial injustice. It's found its way to major news and mainstream media. It has captured the attention of the world. It is a conversation that is at the forefront of so many people's mouths right now. In fact, I want to maybe go a step further and say that we are in a cultural moment, but I believe that we find ourselves also in a spirit-led moment. We could look back over the history of the church and note that there are, there are times when the spirit stirs the church to readdress, to maybe pause, to maybe stop, to uh, maybe call some stuff out, maybe whether in society or whether in itself, but a spirit-led moment where the spirit stirs the church to address something. Like I said, the, the world has been, uh, the attention of the world has been caught with racial inequality and racial injustice. And I believe that the Spirit is stirring us as a church to address this, to, to look at what does God say about this? What does God say about injustice? You know, God talks a lot about justice in this Bible. And I really believe that justice is a very big part of our faith. In fact, it is an attribute of God. God is a just God. So we need to, we need to lean into this. Right? We don't want to get caught up. We don't want to miss the moment. See, the thing is about moments is moments can so easily be missed. And in fact, often we miss moments. And my prayer for us as a church is that we will not miss this spirit-led moment, that we will not miss this cultural moment. And let's look at it. Let's turn to Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. And we're going to read and we're going to jump into this. Uh, my prayer for you this morning is that we will be able to lean in. That we will be able to lean in as individuals and we will be able to lean in as a church. That we will not miss this moment. Luke 10, 25. So Jesus, on, the, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, the same road when he saw the man. He passed 
on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Verse 37 says, The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I want to speak to us this morning from the idea of don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that you are speaking to us today. God, I thank you that we are in this spirit-led moment where you are asking us to, to address some stuff, to look at some stuff that will define the way forward. God, I thank you that your presence is with every single one of us right now. God, I pray for a openness of our hearts, that we'd be willing to to go through some uncomfortable conversations. God, I I pray that we would be be humble, that we would be gentle, that we would be grace-filled. God, I pray that you would just speak to every single one of us now. Holy Spirit, come and just make a way for your word to settle in our hearts right now. We love you, God. We thank you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus was around this group of expert lawmakers. So these guys, when they would get together, the way that they would learn or the way that they would kind of test each other's knowledge was to kind of verbally joust, to try and like one up each other. So uh, this expert lawmaker would have heard of Jesus. He would have heard of his sort of uh, grand reputation or his grand words. And this was kind of like his moment to show everyone how knowledgeable he was. It was his moment to kind of puff himself up and, and test his knowledge. So the, the expert lawmaker asked Jesus a very simple question, one that he would have definitely known the answer to. But he turns to Jesus and says, how are we to inherit the kingdom of God, or how, to, or how are we to inherit eternal life? And Jesus being Jesus, he, he kind of flips the question uh, back on this guy, and he says, well, hey, you're the expert lawmaker. You're, you're the one who knows this inside out. How do you read it? And, you know, the lawmaker, he would have been in front of all these people. He would have been like, this is his moment. This was, you know, he kind of elbowing his, his friends. This is his moment. He says, easy. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like I said, he would have known the answer to this. Children would have known the answer to this. Like they would have had it on their doorpost. They would bind it to their bodies. They had to repeat it twice a day. And uh, Jesus says, yeah, nailed it. That's the answer. That's the answer you were looking for, right? And then kind of like in this moment where things hadn't maybe gone the way he'd expected, the lawmaker in front of everyone goes, oh, but who is my neighbor? Who then is my neighbor? If that's what I've got to do, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus starts to to tell this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
We don't know anything about the man. We don't know why he was in Jerusalem. We don't know why he was going to Jericho. We know he was heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. It says he was going down. It was a steep mountainous path. It would have been 17 miles or so, dropping 2,000 feet. So it was steep mountainous terrain. And uh, Jesus says that the man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho when a group of robbers jump him. They, they strip him naked. They steal everything from him. They beat him to an, within an inch of his life and they leave him bleeding out on the road. So Jesus is telling this story to the lawmakers. Everyone would have been listening. Okay, this is a weird answer to a what seemed like a you know simple question. And then Jesus says, then a priest is coming down the road. Now the lawmakers would have kind of pricked up in this moment. This is like one of their people. Like, yeah, this is one of our guys. This is the good guy. The priest is walking down. And Jesus said he sees the man lying in the middle of the road, all beaten up and bloody, and he passes by on the other side of the road. Now, the expert lawmakers might have been thinking to themselves, well, there's nothing bad about this. I don't know where he's going with this. But actually, there, there are rules against priests touching dead bodies. In fact, it, in Deuteronomy, it says that a priest cannot lay hands on a dead body. Otherwise, they would have to go through a cleansing cycle. And if they didn't go through this cycle, they could be outlawed and, and potentially killed. So the experts in the, in the law would have been listening to Jesus being like, well, there'll be reasons for this. You know, maybe he was on his way to do sort of priestly duties, or maybe he was on his way to, to, to do something important. Maybe he didn't want to get caught up in the blood of all the stuff, and it was he just passed by on the other side. One thing we can, we can assume from this is that a lot of priests would live outside of Jerusalem, and they would travel into Jerusalem to do their work in the temple, because that's where worship and sacrifices happened, in the temple in Jerusalem. So the fact that the priest was going from Jerusalem to Jericho would imply he would be coming from the temple. So, you know, maybe he was just caught up in the moment or whatever it was, but the lawmakers would have been listening to this. And then Jesus says, then in enters a Levite. Now, priests and Levites were from the same tribe. And, you know, the priests, their job was to, uh, to kind of mediate between humanity and God. And, and the Levites would be like the assistants to the priests. So actually, the, the, the lawmakers, again, would be, would be interested. They're like, ah, oh, this is our guy as well. Let's see what he does. Like, this is one of our people. And the Levite, Jesus said, it was going down the road. And he comes to the same place and passes on the other side of the road. Now, just for a little bit of backstory or context here, in the time where, when Jesus was, was uh, walking on the earth, the Jewish custom, the, the way that they would teach or the way that they would tell stories followed similar patterns. And one of a, like a common pattern in that time of storytelling was this kind of rule of threes. It was a, a common way to teach people things. And it was this, that there would be three main characters in a story, the first two characters would follow a similar pattern and the third character would break the pattern and thus kind of being the, the focal point or the lesson that the, the, per, the storyteller was trying to get across or the teacher was trying to teach. So <coughs> in this time, the, the expert lawmakers would be listening to this. They would have heard the first character. They would have heard the second character and they would be listening out for this Third character, that this was kind of the answer to the question. This was the, the focal point of Jesus' lesson. 
but also in this storytelling, there were kind of groups of three that would often go together or natural progressions of stories. Kind of like when we would tell a joke and it'd be like an Irishman, an Englishman and a Scottishman walked into a bar. You know, kind of these, these natural progressions, these natural groups of people that were often used to tell stories. And in their time, it would have been a priest, a Levite and an Israelite. A priest was from the upper class, a Levite was sort of in the middle, and the, the Israelites were the general population, the general people, the children of God. So when the lawmakers were listening to this, they would have been expecting Jesus to go, you know, the priest walked by, the, the Levite walked by, and then the Israelite goes down the road. But Jesus says, then a Samaritan walks down the, the path and sees this broken man, sees this man beaten and stripped naked and covered in blood and wounds and and it says in one translation that he was moved so deeply with compassion that he had to go and pour oil and wine on the wounds and bandage him up. Now to us, this just seems just normal. The Good Samaritan, we've heard this before, but to the, to the expert lawmakers, to the Jews listening, the Jewish audience listening, we need, to, we need to note something here, a little bit more context about this. Who are the Samaritans? Well, actually, the Samaritans were a group of people that, uh, that sort of bordered, lived near. They were the neighbors physically of the Jews. But actually, the Jews regarded the Samaritans as non-people. They were called the half-breeds. They were literally the, the lowest of the low. They were sort of intermarried and interbred with pagans. They were lower than the very pagans that they rejected as well. The, the Samaritans were their dirty, impure they were lower than low. They were non-humans, the half-breeds. So for a start, like in, in, in society with religious law, the Samaritans did not get a look in. In just common law, the way people would, would operate in society, the Samaritans were the back of the line. They were literally regarded as non-people. This is interesting. So when Jesus is telling this story, they're expecting them, Jesus to talk about the Israelites, the next ones in the passage. But he says Samaritans, they would have, all the expert lawmakers would have been like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Before they even heard what the Samaritan did, they would have been like, whoa, wait, where's he going with this? Why is he bringing them into this? And it says that the Samaritan pours oil and wine on the, on the wounds of this broken man, bandages him up throws him on his donkey and takes him to an inn and, and cares for him and, and pays the innkeeper to look after him for a few days. And he said, he'll come back in any extra expense that he'll pay for. And, and he sort of nurses this man. And, and the lawmakers would have been listening to Jesus thinking, this is very strange. Like, what's going on? Like, this is weird. It's actually interesting to know as well that when we hear of oil and wine in the Bible, it's usually to do with priestly sacrifice or worship. So actually, oil and wine was not something that the Levite or the priest would not have had on them. In fact, it was most definite that they would have been carrying oil and wine because they had to use it when they were going to do sacrifices and worship in the temple. But the Samaritan uses it to clean and to heal the, the wounds of this broken man. See, the things that the Jews would use for sort of God's work, the Samaritan was using for uh, the, you know, the, the bandaging up of this broken man. And again, the, the, the Jews listening to this would have, this would have been strange. 
And then Jesus sort of turns to the expert lawmaker, the one who asked the question. The whole crowd would have been listening to, to this exchange. What's going on? He's trying to test Jesus. This was his moment. And Jesus says to the man, so who do you think was a better neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robbers? Now, if you don't believe me that the Jews regarded the Samaritans as lower than dogs, the expert lawmaker couldn't even bring himself to say the word, the Samaritan. Instead, you can get the picture of this man stood looking at the ground, irritated that he'd just been shown up in front of everyone and says the words, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There's a theological term called imago Dei, and, and, it, and it translates as image of God. And it's this understanding, it's this argument or ideology that states that humanity, that we are image bearers of God, that we bear the image of God. Now, back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. And God created mankind, created humankind. And Imago Dei is it's this beautiful idea, but it's more powerful when it is lived out. It's not as powerful just as an ideology or an idea or a belief. It is powerful when it is lived out. You know, just like a composer that would spend months or years toiling over, you know, the, the paper, writing the notes down on the stave and creating a symphony, you know, for, for months, maybe years, and, and, and making sure everything is perfect and it all fits into the theory of music and it, and it all works. But the thing is, the beauty is not heard on the paper. The beauty isn't seen on the paper. The beauty is seen when it's played. You know, that symphony didn't change the world when it was on paper. It changed the world when it was played. I just think our faith needs to be more than a socio-political sort of mind-altering routine or sort of religious thing. It has to be a, an inconvenient and uncomfortable, a living, breathing relationship with the living God. Like it cannot just be this thing that exists in our mind and is not lived out in our life. It has to live and breathe. See, Imago Dei, it states that every man, woman and child bears the image of God that is equal in his sight. That is of equal worth and equal value. That's what it states. And you see, anything that seeks to dismantle or change or oppress or alter that, is truly not of God and must be addressed. So anything that, that seeks to, to reason that a person is, does not bear the image of God, that is not of God and needs to be addressed. Or well, racism, racial inequality, racial injustice does just that. Racism seeks to perpetuate this idea that there are some people that do not bear the image of God. There are some people that are worth less and are to be valued less. Therefore, the church should have something to say about racism, about racial inequality. 
This is really important. You might just say, well, that's, a, that's an American problem. That's something that, that ended hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Like, surely that doesn't happen now. But this is a humanity problem. This is a big problem. And the Spirit is stirring us to look at it. I want to encourage you that this might make you feel uncomfortable. It might challenge you. But can you just be open and lean in and ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me? I pray that we don't miss this moment. See, anything that seeks to, to perpetuate the idea that there are some people that do not bear the image of God needs to be addressed. Did you know that in the American Constitution, not now, but a few hundred years ago, the American Constitution stated that black citizens were three-fifths human. Three-fifths human. Did you know that? Uh, maybe the, this, this one shocked me, that the first, the first person, the first girl to ever go to a non-segregated school just turned 65 years old. 65 years old. History is not as far back as we would like to throw it. Oh, but down there, American problems. Did you know that only 55 years ago, segregation was made illegal in the UK? 55 years ago, we were still splitting up white citizens and black citizens. If we want to talk about racism, we want to talk about racial injustice, we cannot say that this is out of our lifetime. This was 55 years ago. Some of your lifetimes, you would have been alive when black people and white people were not allowed to sit together. We're not allowed to go swimming in the same pool. We're not allowed to do the same Things that is 55 years ago. Anything that seeks to dismantle Imago Day, that the image of God, we need to have something to say about it. So Jesus is asked, Who is my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? Who, who is it? You know, interestingly enough, the, the lawmaker wasn't necessarily asking who his neighbor was. He was asking Jesus, who is it that I'm supposed to love? In fact, maybe he was asking, like, if he knew who he was supposed to love, he could also know who he was not supposed to love. Like, who do I not have to love? Like, if I know who I have to, then that's fine. I can just do that and I'll, I'll inherit eternal life. You know, who is it that I have to love? Where are my boundaries? Who is it that's exempt? Who is it that I can actually, you know, justify and push away? You know, and to us, maybe if I asked you, who was your neighbor? You might tell me who the people that live beside you or are the people in your locality or your geography or are the people that you, you sit next to uh, work or you, you see in the gym or people that you bump shoulders with. And yes, they are your neighbor. But Jesus has something to say in this passage about who our neighbor is. Jesus lays it out as our neighbor is those that we encounter that are oppressed, those that we encounter that are marginalized, those that we encounter who are broken, those who are hurting, those that are in pain, that are in a broken state. Those are our neighbors. So as we go about our life and we encounter people that have been oppressed or people that are marginalized or people that have been kicked to the side or left out or, you know, the not so goods or, or the has-beens or the never-wills, those people, those people are, are our neighbors. I wonder maybe if we can maybe relate to the expert lawmaker. 
If maybe we can, if we can relate to him a little bit. So Jesus is, is asked by this guy who, who was an expert in the law. You know, he, he knew exactly how to honor God according to the law. He would be someone that people would ask, like, how do I follow the law? How do I, you know, live that life? How do I, is this the right thing to do? Is this not? He would have known, he would have known all of it. He was an expert in it. You know, if there was someone who were to, to know the answers to the questions that he was asking, it was him. And, and he, he asked Jesus this, you know, this simple question, like, you know, how, who is my neighbor? How do I, how do I turn it, uh, inherit eternal life? And then Jesus to this, this Jew who would have considered himself clean, pure, and, you know, fulfilling God's commands. To him, Jesus tells this story and makes the, the focal point of this story a dirty unclean Samaritan. And in fact, Jesus goes a step further and tells this pure sort of has it all together, knows the answers to all the questions Jew, this expert lawmaker. Jesus tells the expert lawmaker to go and be like the Samaritan. In other words, saying that the Samaritan fulfilled the greatest commandment more so than the expert lawmaker did. And at the end of the story, when Jesus asks him, he demonstrates this. He demonstrates why the Samaritan in the story had had fulfilled the commandment and why the lawmaker had not. When he says to him, so who was the better neighbor? And the lawmaker still, the lawmaker still could not get himself out of that mindset that the Samaritans were less than people. He, he could not even give them the, the honor they deserve to be known as image bearers of God. He, he could not push through his prejudice. And, you know, we say the Bible doesn't talk about racism. The Bible talks about racism. The Bible is very clear about racism in this passage, about racial inequality and racial justice. Jesus stands there to this man and the man still cannot utter the words, the Samaritan. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and, go and do as this dirty, unclean, half-breed of a non-person. Go and be like him. I wonder, what the, I wonder what the mood in that group of people was when their prejudice was met with this, with this man who who's got such a big reputation and, and he knew so much and, and he puts a Samaritan as the, the heart of this story. I wonder what the mood was like on that day. All of the people that thought they had it together, all the people that maybe thought that they were the ones that were honoring God, but what happened? They just missed it. They missed the moment. I wonder at the end of that passage if, if the, the lawmaker had looked at Jesus and gone, the Samaritan, the Samaritan was the good neighbor. Rather than, you know, I'm just thinking all the way through this story, how could Samaritans don't do anything good? Samaritans can't honor God. And then the, this blasphemous man says that a Samaritan fulfilled the greatest commandment. Why? Because he missed it. You know, we could quite easily miss this too. 
We could quite easily miss this moment where the Spirit is stirring us to address some things, to be a voice in society. One of our key purposes as a church is we want to be a church that has a voice of influence. That means we've got to have uncomfortable conversations. We have to to put ourselves on the operating table and say, God, would you search me? Like I said, history is not as far back as we want to throw it. We have to be open to the fact that there is sin in us. You know, the root of racial inequality is, is sin. There's something that only Jesus can fix. But we have a responsibility to search ourselves and say, God, would you rid me of any prejudice? God, would you rid me of any ways that, that I actually maybe I don't even understand that I do it, that I actually marginalize people that don't look like me? Uh, maybe, God, would you, would you just purge me of those things in my life that are not supposed to be there, that dishonor the image of God? in other people's lives. As a nation, we have found ourselves in the past couple of weeks so reluctant to look at ourselves. I'm, I'm not racist. I don't do anything like that. I would never say that. We've been so reluctant as a nation to look at ourselves and say maybe our systems are broken. Maybe there are some problems in the way that we do things. Maybe the Spirit is stirring us this morning to say it is time to look in the mirror for just a few moments and not miss this moment. How can we miss this moment? Well, maybe, maybe we could be too proud. Maybe we, we could be too proud, just like the priest in the story that Jesus told. He was up in the temple doing God's work. He was doing God's work like he was, he was the guy in the temple, the mediator between humanity and God. He was doing that for people in the temple. And he's coming down and he sees this broken man lying in the road. And maybe perhaps he thought, well, like, that's not my job. Like, I don't need to do that. There's other people that care for people. Like, is he dead? Is it an ambush? Is it, is it could this be some, something of danger? Like, we don't know. And I don't want to vilify any of these people, because we've all been them. I've been too proud to, in this way where I've not been able to fulfill what God wants me to do, maybe because I just have some issue with pride. So I don't want to vilify these things. But perhaps this man was, was walking, walking down here and believing that he was holy, that he was doing God's work, that he had everything together. And when he sees an opportunity to fulfill the very commandment of God, he was so caught up in his apparent holiness or his church stuff or his understanding that he was, you know, had it all together and he was right with God and all that stuff. And he missed a broken man lying in the road. I pray we wouldn't miss the moment because we are too proud. Or because we are too proud to look in at ourselves. When I think about this priest walking down from, from Jerusalem, like this, this, you know, people call Jerusalem the fifth gospel. It, it, to this very day, it, it speaks of the life of Jesus. It speaks of the mission of Jesus. I've never been, but I know people who've had, who have and just said it's a profound experience. This priest was coming from Jerusalem, like God's place. And somewhere along the way, he, had, he just missed the fact that the, the, the gospel, that the, even 
what God desired is all about the hurting and the broken. Like somewhere along the way, he felt that it was okay to justify not helping out a broken person. I pray that we wouldn't be that church. That we wouldn't be that church that that does all these ministry things and does all this good stuff. But when we hear of people that are oppressed and are marginalized, we find a way to justify that. When did we ever overcomplicate the gospel of Jesus to make it not about the people that are down and out and oppressed? I don't know about you, but the the God I serve, the, the Jesus that I follow, was always about lifting up those that society pushes down. And that is our duty as a church. That if we know that there are people being oppressed, it is our job to do something about that. Why? Because it seeks to dismantle what God has set upon every single one of us, and that is his, his image. Maybe we could miss the moment because we're too proud. Or maybe we could miss the moment because we're too scared. Because we're too scared of quite like the Levite. The Levite was the assistant to the priest. So maybe the Levite was coming down from the same place from the temple in Jerusalem, coming, coming down. He, he sees the broken man lying in the street, just needing some help. And he thinks to himself, well, like there's priests walking down this road. There's other people walking down this road. Like I'm only the assistant. Uh, uh, what would people say? What would people say? What if he's dead and, and I touch him? Because like, you know, the expert lawmakers would have known that priests were held to this real strict, these real strict rules, but the Levites weren't necessarily held to as strict rules as that. Like they would be able to get off a little bit if they touched a dead body. Like maybe he was just scared of what it would look like. How, how, how would people think of me after that? What would, maybe I could lose my position. Maybe I could lose my platform. Maybe we could miss the moment because we're too scared of calling out injustice when we see it. What will people think of me? They might think I'm just one of them preachy people that tries to tell everyone what to do. Or they might just think that I'm just jumping on the bandwagon because everyone's talking about racism at the moment. And I just don't feel like that. that's my voice right now. And maybe we're just too scared of standing out because we don't know how people are going to take it. We can quite easily miss the moment because we're too scared. Or maybe we could miss the moment because of the messiness. Maybe the, the priest and the Levi were walking down the road and, and they see this, this broken man all bloodied and, and panting uh, on, the, on the road. And, and there's, there's blood everywhere and there's clearly been a scuffle and it's just messy. And they might have been like, well, what can I, what can I do to help? Like, how, how, like, how am I going to do this? Um, like, I don't really know. I'm not really trained in this. I, I don't know how to help a person like that. There's a lot of mess everywhere. I don't know how I can get involved in this. Can I do this? Should I do that? Maybe, well, maybe we don't want to get involved to call out racial injustice because of how messy it is. Because it is so deep-rooted in so many different places. And, and we just don't want to get caught up in the messes. I don't feel adequately trained for this. I don't feel like I have the right words. I don't feel like I even know enough about it. I don't feel like I even have what it takes to address this. Maybe we could be put off by the messiness and then miss the moment. Or maybe we might just be overwhelmed. 
know, the, the priest and the Levi, I've been walking down the road and, and, and seeing all of this stuff going on, seeing the guy on the floor and, and just been like, this is big. What am I supposed to do? What can I do? This is, uh, you know what? I'm just, I can't deal with this right now. I've got a lot on my mind. Maybe it's the same with us. And when it comes to racism, when it comes to racial inequality, maybe we, we find it so overwhelming. Where do I start? How do I even get involved? Am I allowed to say that? Am I not allowed to say this? It's such a big problem. It was, you know, this, I've been here. Uh, maybe a year or two ago, I was like, racism is real bad in America. Like, that sucks over there. And then I find out this is not just an American problem. This is a humanity problem. This is something so deep-rooted. This is so big. What can I do? How can I even get involved in this? I've been there. I don't want to vilify any single one of those, whether you know, you're proud or scared or you're put off by the messiness or you're overwhelmed. Like I've been in all of those. I don't want to, to vilify so you feel like, all right, sus. But we need to get over this stuff. If God is calling us to love our neighbor and to love our neighbor means to help those that are oppressed, to speak out for those whose voices are not heard, we need to get over some of this stuff. Or maybe, maybe we will miss the moment because we're too privileged. Now, I say this to anyone watching this morning who is white. I hope this challenges us and makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But maybe we will miss the moment because we are too privileged. We live in a system that favors us. We live in a system that allows us to not have to think about racial inequality. Do you know what privilege is? Privilege is not having to deal with a problem because it doesn't affect you. I know over the past few weeks, the term Black Lives Matter has been at the forefront of everywhere and it's caused a real stir in people. You know what? I fundamentally believe that black lives matter. And to those people who are sat thinking, well, well, all lives matter. You know, no one said all lives didn't matter. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying only black lives matter. But to those that say, well, all lives matter, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. But you know what? No one is stood there saying that your life doesn't matter. But there are some people, some systems around today that are saying black lives do not matter. We serve a God who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. It would be the equivalent of as, as, as the shepherd is going after the one sheep, all the sheep that are safe being like, but what about us? It's like, you're fine, you're safe, it's okay. Instead, they should be like, go Jesus, like if you need anything, we'll be with you, we're here, we're gonna, we'll welcome them in. But that's what privilege is. Maybe we'll miss the moment because we are so blind because of our privilege. But you know what the, the exciting thing is? is? If we acknowledge our privilege, if we acknowledge that, that that's, that's just the way we are right now, we can actually see through it and see the world through other people's eyes. You know what? In, in the future, you might be able to look back and say that you didn't do anything to, to contribute to changing racial inequality. 
Or you might be able to say that there was not much you could do to, to end racism. But you know what I can assure you is that you will never be able to look back at this time and say that you did not know. I pray that we wouldn't just go on business as usual. I pray that this message wouldn't just be heard as uh, me trying to stir something or get political or anything like that. I pray that this, this message would stop, would stop us and cause us to think and be open and be humble and say, God, help me see this for what it is. Maybe we've been looking at the world through the eyes of our privilege and because it doesn't affect us that have white skin, we don't have to deal with it. Can I encourage you to educate yourself about racism? Educate yourself about racial inequality, racial injustice in the UK. Why? Because this is the thrust of our faith. This is what fulfilling the commandment looks like. I pray that we would not be like that priest that thinks that we are all good. And when we are faced with someone lying quite literally face down on the road. I hope the parallels are straight here for you. That when we encounter people that are literally being oppressed that we would not turn and walk the other way, that we would not cross over the road and say, sorry, I'm too busy with God's work, that we would realize that it is God's work to help those who are in pain. That is what we've been called to do. That is what it means to fight racism, not because it's the trendy thing to do or it's something that is you know, kind of kind and it's nice and it's like the in thing. It's because that's exactly what Jesus came to this earth to do, to help those who are oppressed and broken. That's what we've been called to do. I pray that this just wouldn't be business as usual. We need to stop and go with the flow of the Spirit on this one. You might be sat listening, but Dan, like, where's this come from? What's going on? You know what? We find ourselves in a Spirit-led moment. That's what's going on, and we need to talk about it. We need to be open. I, I encourage you to go have conversations with people that don't look like you. Go have conversations with people that, that have not had the same upbringing as you that have a different color skin to you, that have had a different life experience to you. Because what it will do, it will help dismantle that privilege. It will help, it will stop it blinding you. Because right now you might be thinking, well, I've never experienced this. Maybe if we were in the story where that Jesus was telling, we might be like, hey, well, you know, I walked down that very same road. I walked down there hundreds of times and I've never been jumped. I've walked down that very road and I've never seen a single robber. That guy who got beaten up, that either didn't happen or it was exaggerated or there was context. We, we, should we know more detail about this before we say something? Like if we were in the, the story that Jesus told, would we have been like, nah, no, there's definitely two sides to the story. When the dude is on the floor, beaten, stripped, humiliated, lonely, left to die. When did it become our remit to justify why we shouldn't pick them up? Because that's not the Jesus that I follow. 
You know, and our privilege will tell us that we've been down that road a hundred times and we've been fine, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen to other people. Just because it's not your problem doesn't mean you don't need to think about it. This is a spirit-led moment. This is a cultural moment. This is going to define the way forward. Let us not miss the moment. I'm coming into close. And like I said, I really want to encourage you to buy the books. Read up on this stuff. Real search yourself. Be open. Speak to people. Listen to the podcast. Read the blogs. Let's not just shut this idea out that racism is not a thing anymore. Be open to the fact that people have other experiences to you than to me. Let us not miss this moment. One of my favorite verses of all time, and I get laughed about this. You know, people make fun of me for this one because I love the church. And this verse sounds like it's very anti the church, but it's not. This verse for me sums up the heart of Jesus in that moment. That that encapsulates the the priest as he walked down that that road and, and the Samaritan as he helped the broken man. It's Amos 5. Amos chapter 5, 21 to 24. And a little bit of context around this. So prophets in the Old Testament were used to, uh, by God to speak to a nation. And the nation was in a very similar place to that lawmaker. Thought, had it, thought they, uh, that they had it all together. They thought that they were honoring God. They thought that they could do you know, whatever they sort of wanted under God. And they thought they were all right. But actually, they'd neglected to live it out. They'd neglected to, to help the widow, like it said in Isaiah, to you know, take up the cause of the fathers, to, to plead the widow's case, you know, to, to fight for those who are in need and who are broken, who are oppressed and who are marginalized and kicked out. And, and they failed as a nation to do that. And Amos was a prophet that was sent by God to call them back. And this is what it says. This is God speaking to the, the nation. It says, and this is in the message version. I love it. It says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and your goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and your image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. I want justice. Oceans of it. This is God calling a nation back. Look, you might have it all together in your head. You, you might think that honoring me is about going through, you know, all, all the routines and, and saying all the things and, and, you know, looking like you've got it all together. But if you want to honor me and you want to live out a life that I have called you to live, I want justice. You can't neglect the oppressed anymore. You can't neglect the marginalized anymore. You have to take up the cause of those who are in need. That's what it means, and that's what God was calling them out. Maybe you can relate to the priest or the Levite this morning, and you felt challenged and convicted, and the Spirit has stirred you to say that it's time to stop crossing over to the other side and walking around. 
Like I said, you might be able to say in the future that you didn't do anything or whatever, but you will never be able to say you didn't know. Maybe you can relate to that, and this morning has been maybe a bit of a wake-up call for you. I just want to read a quick passage. We've got a few minutes left. I know this has been going on, but this is important. This is so important. John 13, 34, it says this, Jesus speaking. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus is saying, love one another. How? As I have loved you. You know what the crazy thing about this is? We've all been the broken man lying on the road, desperate for help, unable to do anything on our own. When sin came into this world and corrupted humanity, when it broke us apart and severed us from God, sin came and it abused us and it messed us up and it beat us up and it stripped us of dignity and it robbed us of everything that we had and it threw us down on the road and left us to die. Until what? Until Jesus came down from heaven, who put on flesh and blood and lived a human life, who died a horrific death, who laid in a grave for three days, who trampled your death and your sin when he walked out of that tomb, resurrected and went back to heaven. Jesus came for us. Whilst we were that man lying on the road, Jesus came and he bandaged us up. And he put us back together and he restored us back to the Father. So what's our response? To love as he loved us. How do we love our neighbor? Just like he first loved us. We can't ignore the marginalized. We cannot ignore the broken. If we want to love like he loved us, we have to go after those who are pushed to the side, who are pushed down. That is the heart of our God. You know, racism isn't new. Racial inequality and racial injustice is not a new thing. People have been putting up with this for so, so long. But I feel like the Spirit of God is stirring us to say enough is enough. Enough is enough. In the midst of this cultural moment, will the church step up and love our neighbor? Or will we find a way to justify and walk on the other side and miss our moment? I pray that we won't miss our moment. Maybe this is actually a moment for you right now watching who maybe this is the first time you've joined us. It's the first time you've heard about this this God who sent his son to save us. Maybe you feel like that man lying on the road right now and you say, I just need someone to come help me. And you want to meet Jesus for the first time. It says in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that you can be saved. Today will be a day that will change your life forever. Today could be a spirit-led cultural moment in your life right now that will define the way forward. You know, if you want to respond to this message this morning and invite Jesus into your life for the first time, I want you to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. I acknowledge everything that you did for me and I give you my life. 
I give you my brokenness. I give you my hurt, my pain, my past, my present, my future. Jesus, I give you my life. Uh, Maybe today has been a moment for you. You've been a Christian for a long time and maybe you just feel convicted. Like I've been ignoring the ones who Jesus has been calling me to help. I've been sidestepping these things because I just don't know how for whatever reason it is. And I don't want to vilify it because we all do it. Maybe this is a day to not miss this moment. And you just want to say, I am no longer going to cross to the other side and walk around. I'm going to face this head on. I hope today has, has made you feel uncomfortable and challenged you. We need to be a church that stands in this gap and speaks into this. We as a church, we have to understand that by saying black lives matter, it does not like discredit or devalue anyone else, but is the heart of Jesus to care for those who are pushed down and oppressed. This is not political. This is spiritual. This matters. My prayer is that we won't miss this. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for your life and for your death on this earth. That because of that, we can be restored to you. I thank you for the cross that you endured, Jesus. I pray for those people that want to respond to you for the first time. God, I pray that you would make yourself so real to them right now. God, I pray for us as a church, as a body, as a people that we would not miss our moment, that we would be humble enough, open enough to search ourselves, to consider that idea that there is injustice present and we have to do something about it. We love you, God. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, convict us in areas that we need to be convicted. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you want to uh, get in touch or take some next steps, Dan and Grace are going to jump on and they're just going to help you with uh, what this can look like if you, if you responded for the first time. But we've absolutely loved spending these few moments together. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I absolutely love this church. I love every single one of you. I'm so proud to be part of this community. And I really believe that we can speak into this moment with a voice that God has given us. Let us not miss our moment. I love you. We're praying for you. I encourage you to keep connected, but we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.